Well, I feel like the turtle. What in the world am I doing up here? But uh, I love you. I love you, preacher. But most of all, I love the Lord. And I am glad. I have been teasing pastor about, uh, you know, being nervous. And and I am. I'm, I'm somewhat nervous. But an old preacher said to me, when I was 16 years of age, I was preaching as much at 16 as I do at 71. And um, I would preach meetings on on Friday night, Saturday night, and all day Sunday. And uh, all over the country did, did a 16-year-old red-faced, freckled-faced little boy. I felt like a little boy. Uh, traveling all over uh, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, preaching on the weekend, seeing God work. And, um, and I thought in my, in, in my own life, oh my, this is amazing. How God can take someone like me and use me like he has for the last 71 years. And um, God even used me as a little infant, I think. And we won't go into that part. But on July the 14th, 1950, I was born in the home of Thomas and Vera Mae Beckham. To me, it was a normal home uh, with three siblings. My mother was given three months to live when, when I was born. She had cancer. She was the first one in Georgia to take radiation. And I was told, she said to the doctor, that she would live to see me grown, to see me with children. And she did. She did, by the grace of God. I was 24 years old when Mother went to heaven. And as I grew, the doctors was telling my mom and dad that I would never be able to learn. The best thing they could do with, with Benny Lee Beckham was to put me in a trade school, teach me a trade and my dad was running one at the time. He was, he was, he, he didn't know he was running one at the time, but he was. He was a licensed paint contractor. And at the age of 12 years of age, I found myself a student in the Beckham's trade school. I didn't even know there was a, anything but closets in a house, uh, because that's where dad put me to learn the paint. And he said, son, when you, when you get that closet perfect, then you can come out into the great room and you can help dad in the great room and the rest of the house. So I, I would have to, I would have to sand the walls. I would have to caulk the, the baseboard and the casing. I would have to make sure the putty, you couldn't see the putty, uh, under the paint. You have, I had to make real sure that the door was sanded just like the walls. And one day, guess what? I graduated to the great room. And, uh, and down through, and I would tell dad, I would say, dad, good night. I'm gonna be a preacher. I don't need to learn how to paint. Let Tommy paint. Let Henry paint. But dad, I'm gonna be a preacher. And he said, you're going to be a preacher that knows how to paint. Amen. And uh, he knew enough of Bible that Paul made tents. 
And he wanted me. And you know, I'm glad I learned to paint because uh, as Diane's sickness got, uh, her bills went so high, I had to start, I had to start a paint company uh, right in the middle of her trial with cancer. And uh, we painted two and three million dollar homes. We painted Kmarts and Walmarts and Cracker Barrels and and Pizza Huts and and uh, Kmarts. All these big commercial places. I found myself and then residential, the million dollar home, the two million dollar homes, because we painted custom painting. And so I'm glad. I'm glad Dad taught me how to paint. Amen. And, uh, and so, uh, as I look on those years, uh, I can almost look up to heaven and say, Dad, thank you. Thank you for te- teaching me a trade. And then entering the first grade started a lonely road for Brother Beckham. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. I can go back to when I was five, six years old in the first grade. Oh, my, stuttered with a speech impediment. I didn't like to talk in front of people. I don't mind it. Once I get up here, I'm okay. But getting up here. And um, so the doctor said, Mr. Beckham, Miss Beckham, you will never learn. You won't be able to talk. And... Uh, just take the little boy and put him in a trade school. Hmm. Well, I'm so glad he didn't do that. <laughs> Amen. See, in the first grade in the 1950s, they had reading bees. This was a circle of chairs where the students sat, and each child had to read a paragraph out loud. And I would sit there and count the students to see where my paragraph was going to be. And I would, I, would, I would sit there and I would count. And I would count. My hands would get sweaty. Because I knew there was one little boy in that crowd that was going to laugh at me. And you didn't laugh at Benny Lee. Because he would poke you in the nose. And um, so one day... One day I counted the paragraphs and I came to the paragraph I was going to have to read that day. And there was a word in there, uh, it was elephant and mother. I couldn't say them. I tried. I tried. I would cry and I would try. And uh, so it came my turn. Oh, boy. Kind of like tonight. It came my turn. I looked around. I saw the little girls. I saw that little smiley boy. Teacher would say, Benny Lee, would you read your paragraph? I would just sit there. I wouldn't say a word. I just sat there. And she said, Benny... It's your time to read your paragraph. Read your paragraph, Benny. I just sat there, looked looked at the little girls, looked at the little boy, looked at the little smiley face boy, 
And I knew, I knew the minute I said, the minute I did that, that boy was going to laugh at me. And I knew what he was going to get on the playground. I knew. I knew me. And so that little, I read my paragraph and, and I said, Lord Jesus, help me. And I wasn't even a Christian, but I was a praying. And I said, uh, okay, I'll get you. And then the word mother, mother, there he goes laughing again. Well, recess time came. And I saw him out there with the little girls laughing. And they were all looking at me. I knew they were laughing at me. And uh, I just made my way over there. Got real close to him. Got real close where I could really hit him good. And I hit him right on the nose. And blood went everywhere. And he started crying like a little sissy girl that he was. And I thought, oh, my soul. And the teacher ran over, Benny, Benny, what have you done? Didn't want to ask the little brat what he had done. You know, if it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't be in trouble. And, uh, but she was, she was concerned about what I had done. I said, well, you the teacher, you ought to know. You ought to be smart enough to look and see what's here. I hit him in the nose. That's what I did. And she said, you go to the classroom. Right now, go to the classroom. Yes, ma'am. I looked around at him. I wanted to stick my tongue out at him. I wanted to go, <laughs> but I didn't. I was already in trouble. I had already busted the boy's nose. And uh, so I went in it, into the classroom. I sat down. I knew I was in trouble. Oh, boy. This is the way it's going to be all my life. Can't talk plain. Stutter. Then she walked into the classroom. She said, Benny, would you come to my desk, please? I said, yes, ma'am. And then she wasn't a very kind person. She was a little healthy. And um, she uh, had freckles on her face, just like me. Had red hair, just like me, too. That was the reason we didn't get along. And uh, so she said, come around my desk. And she had this cloth that she would wrap around you and pin it to you like a diaper. She said, well, Benny, if you're going to act like a baby, I'm going to treat you like a baby. And she put that diaper. Today she would get put in jail for that kind of stuff. I wish she could have been put in jail back then, you know. But... uh, but anyway, uh, she put that crazy diaper on me and stood me in front of the classroom. And guess who 
was sitting back there smiling at me. Ooh, I wanted to bust his nose again. And if I couldn't bust his nose, maybe his mouth. So I just sat there. I remember she said, come with me. And she took me to the front of the class and stood me up there. Oh, can you imagine? Six years old in front of a bunch of six-year-olds with a diaper on. Mm. Boy, that was a nightmare for me. I stuttered, and I had a speech impediment, so the public school system put me, put me in a therapy class. Oh, another nightmare. Here I am, six years old. I remember the first time I went into the speech therapy class. The teacher pulled up a chair next to me, and said, Benny, stick out your tongue. And I said, stick out my tongue? She said, yeah. Now, this was in 1950, 56. And uh, so I stuck out my tongue. I didn't know what she was going to do. And she grabbed my tongue and pulled it. I wanted to bite her. That hurt. Try it. Everybody stick out your tongue. <laughs> Say to the person next to you, pull my tongue. <laughs> then you wouldn't be looking at me like you're looking at me. It hurts. I'm telling you, it hurts. And, and I wanted to say to her, you're hurting me. But you, you didn't do things like that back in the 50s. Whatever they wanted to do, they did it. Boy. They're probably in heaven today. I, I hope they're in heaven. The way they acted, I, I don't know, you know. But, uh, but throughout school, I hated to stand in front of people. just hated it. I tried to stay pretty much to myself. But God knew what he was doing in my life. God knew. And down through the years, I have met a lot of children. They can't talk plain. That stutters. And I have been able to give this. Give, this is the first time I ever have given it in detail. But I have mentioned it a few times. And I've had children to come up to me. And I've been able to talk to them. One little boy in uh, Dr. Ezekiel Zalazar. He's one of the well-known Spanish pastors in the world today. His grandchild came up to me a year ago. The veins to his brain doesn't work real well. The blood doesn't flow. And when he talks, he very few people can understand him. And his mother brought him to me one night, and she said, told me the story. I said, ma'am, can I talk to him? Well, he won't talk, Brother Beckham, but yeah, you can try. And guess what? I knelt down by that little boy, and my heart went out to him. And he looked at me, and he said something. 
And the mother said, you two can relate to each other, can't you? Brother Beckham, you can, you can really understand him, can't you? I said, yes, ma'am. A year later, I went back, and here he comes running, just a-talking. It wasn't that he couldn't talk. He was just was afraid that somebody may laugh at him. Be careful. Be careful who you laugh at, who you make fun of. Amen. And then at the age of 16, my life took a turn. I will never forget the Sunday morning when my mother woke me up to go to Sunday school. She was a godly woman. My mother didn't know that my oldest brother, H.G., who was my Sunday school teacher at the time, asked me to read a part of the lesson that morning. That meant speaking before the class. Again, I knew there were words in the lesson that would give me trouble, so I was facing two problems. First, I was the only transportation for my mother to go to church. And secondly, I had to read a part of the lesson in Sunday school with words that I couldn't pronounce. The night before, I asked my dad. He would play golf on Sunday, every Sunday. He wasn't a Christian. And I said, Dad, can I go to play golf with you in the morning? And he said, no, you're going to take your mother to church. You're the only transportation she has, so you're going to go to church with mother in the morning. But, Dad, can I just miss one Sunday? Maybe H.G. can come by and pick mother up and, Take her and bring her back. No, you're going to take your mother to church in the morning. And see, back then, when your dad, when your parents said you're going to do something, there was no talking back. You just did what mom and dad told you to do without anything said back. And I said, yes, sir. And so in the morning... I asked my mother about me taking her to church and my brother bringing her home, and she too said no. She had already ironed my clothes. She had already put them in my closet. I knew I had to take her to church. So I said, okay, Mom, I'll take you to church, but I'm not, I'm not staying. I'm going to play golf with Dad. And um, she and I kind of got in a little argument there, nothing, nothing disrespectful, but uh, I, just, I just acted like a 16-year-old. So I pulled up at the church, and my mother was getting out of the car. I wasn't paying attention, and I couldn't wait to take off, so... I didn't notice the door wasn't, was so close to her, it almost knocked her down when I took off. I started over to Jekyll Island where Dad was playing golf and got almost halfway over there and, and um, the Holy Ghost of God said, turn around. Turn around. I don't want to turn around. 
turn around. So I turned around and went back to the house, turned on the television, a bunch of old gospel music was on. I turned that thing off. Didn't want to hear no gospel music. Gospel music at 16 years of age? Come on. Turn it off. Sat there for a few minutes. Holy Ghost sat there by me and said, put on your clothes your mother ironed for you. Go to church. And I tried to sit there and I tried to kind of not pay any attention to that little soft, loving, tender, merciful, graceful uh, voice that I was hearing within my heart. And, and I thought, okay. So I got up, put on the clothes that, that, uh, that my mother had, had made for me, had ironed for me. Got in the car, went down the I and Ellis Street in Brunswick, Georgia, the little Southern Baptist Church, right there on the corner. Don't let that hair lip you now, okay? You, you, can, you can get right in the Southern Baptist Church. How do you know that? Because I did. Amen? As a matter of fact, I really got right. I got saved by the grace of God there. Amen? And, and so when I got there, I walked straight to the front pew. Usually the back Two or three pews was where I would sit with my friends. But not that morning. I was under so great conviction, I just went straight down, sat down on the front row and waited for the choir to come out and waited for the preacher, a giant of a man, to come. He preached the gospel that morning, and boy, oh boy, I was miserable. At the age of 12, I walked the aisle but you know the only reason I walked the aisle at the age of 12? I loved to swim. I really did. I loved the swimming pool. I liked it. And, uh, and my brother walked down the aisle, which is here tonight, and uh, Tommy walked down the aisle, got saved. Well, I knew Tommy was going to get to go to the swimming pool. And so I said, now, if Tommy's going to go swimming, I'm going to go swimming. Amen. Come on. And, and, and so Tommy got saved and got baptized. I walked the aisle and got wet. I sure didn't get saved at the age of 12. And, um, but that morning, I stepped maybe two steps, and there I was at the altar. Of God. And I knelt down upon my knees and I cried out to God for the first time, really, from my heart. And I asked Him to come into my soul. And He did. He did. He saved me by the good grace of God. I remember Dad would teach us or taught us that a man didn't cry. Man didn't cry. I think the first time I saw my dad cry, I was 34 years old. He just wasn't an emotional man. And he taught me, you know, not to be all that emotional. But that morning, my older brother said, Benny, it's okay to cry. Go ahead and cry. And years later, guess what? Daddy realized it's okay to cry. 
When I was 27 years old, my dad bowed his knees at 5 o'clock in the morning. He was drunk. And he cried out to God to save him at 5 o'clock in the morning. You know, he learned that morning that it was okay to cry. And then when he got in church, he found out that Jesus wept. And he said, if my Savior could cry, I can too. But boy, he sure made it miserable for me for a while. All those years that I could cry, and, and I couldn't. And now I found out he's crying. Huh, okay. Amen. Maybe you'll teach our grandchildren it's okay to cry. So here I am, I'm saved a week later, a week later, in Southern Baptist churches, they had what they called youth weeks. And this is when the youth of the church runs the ministry for an entire week. One week, a preacher is chosen, deacons are chosen, Sunday school teachers are picked, and guess who was chosen to be the preacher? Not John. Not George, but Benny Lee. Benny Lee Beckham. Been saved one week. And here I am going to preach a revival. (laughs) Oh, my soul. Stuttering Benny Beckham. Can't say the books of the Bible. Can't do any of that. And I'm the preacher of the week. I remember going to a deacon and I said, uh, brother, listen, I have been picked to be the preacher for next week. And, uh, what would you suggest? He said, find you seven tracks and look at them and memorize them and get up and go through the tracks. Okay. I'll do it. I got up. Read the tracks. Thirteen souls got saved that week. And from that week until tonight, I'm still preaching. Amen. What a journey it has been. One week later, a lot of things happened when I was 16. That was a year that my whole life just changed In 1967, Tommy, which is here tonight, 1967, 68, somewhere in there, got orders to go to Vietnam. That was the hottest time of the war. A lot of boys was was killed during those two years. And Tommy went over with the uh, 101st Airborne Division just wrecked me. It's tough. I took him, took him to the bus station that morning, and he asked me a question. I will never forget. I 
jumping ahead a little bit. But he asked me this question. He said, Benny, you know, I'm going to Vietnam. A lot of our boys are dying over there right now. And he said, I need to know this. If I am killed in Vietnam, Will I ever see you again? Changed my life. Changed, changed my life. So after he, he went, I just couldn't get my mind on schoolwork. So I asked my dad if I could quit school. If I could joined the army and dad said well you underage and I, I would have to sign the papers and are you sure I said I'm sure so I quit school went down to the recruiter's uh, office and took the tests and he said um, next week you'll you'll go to Jacksonville you'll take your physical and uh, if everything is good you, you will go you will go to the to the basic training. I was in good health. Boys back then they didn't just sit in a living room somewhere and do this all day. Uh, back then our our stomach muscles were developed, our back muscles was developed because we climbed trees all the time and we swimmed and we boxed. We did all kind of crazy stuff as boys. But like I said, today, on a couch. I've been told you're called couch potatoes. Whatever that is. So, you know, so I, I, I tried to join the service and, and they told me I failed the physical. Now, can you believe that? And I said... No, I didn't, I didn't feel that physical. So I went to, I went to the Marine Corps and they said, go home, son. I said, okay. I went to the Navy and the Navy said, go home. This was in Viet, during the Vietnam era. This is when they were accepting everybody. This was when they were accepting you and sending you straight to Vietnam. I went to the Air Force. Air Force said, go home. So when I, when I got back to Brunswick, I went straight to the recruiter's office and, and I said, sir, they tell me I failed that physical, but, but you know and I know I didn't fail that physical. And he looked at me and he said, go back to school. Church, I didn't want to hear that. Go back to school. Hmm. So, I said, okay. So I went back to school and graduated and two years later, Two years late, 
but I graduated. And um, during that time, A young lady by the name of Diane Linda, Diane Chapman. I've been knowing Diane since I was 12. She was 11. And after I went back to school, we started dating. And and then we dated through the 60s. 1970, we got married. She was a wonderful lady. I loved her. I believe I loved her at the age of 12. And as I have said, she was 11. You know what she would do in Sunday school? We would be sitting there in Sunday school, and her brother would be teaching and she would catch my eye. And she would wink at me. At 12 years of age. <laughs> during Sunday school. Here I am. Speech impediment. Stuttering. Shy. Didn't want no girl. Girls was ucky. You know, and I would go get, I would get in the car and I said, Mom, why does that Diane Chapman wink at me all the time? My face gets hot and it gets red and she laughs at me. She likes you, Benny. No, 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 she can't like me. And I remember those days. But you know, years went by and 1968 came, and we uh, started dating, and she winked at me one too many times. And we started dating, and, uh, oh, it was wonderful. 1970, August 22nd, we got married. Married the girl that winked at me. Winked at me. The girl that changed my life. I remember moving to Chattanooga, Tennessee to study at Tennessee Temple University. My first semester there was really tough. I remember going to the, into the Old Testament class and hearing that I was going to have to say the books of the Bible in front of a class of a hundred students or more. Now, I had already been preaching four years, and um, 
So here I am sitting in the class, hearing doctors so-and-so uh, tell what, what you had to do throughout the semester and, and all the requirements and everything you had to do. And he said, uh, each one of you going to have to say the books of the Bible from memory. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. First day, orientation. Stacked up my books, got up, started walking out the class. He said, sir, where are you going? I quit. I kept walking. And I walked out of that class, out of that building, down the sidewalk, went to Bailey Street to an apartment that Diane and I had just started to rent. And uh, and I walked in, and she said, you look upset. And I said, I am upset. We're going. Pack our bags. We just got here. I said, pack our bags. I quit. And I remember her saying, Benny, I didn't marry a quitter. What's wrong? I have to say the books of the Bible. I can't say them. And we're going home. She said, you're silly. Now, wives can get by with that. Especially when you you hadn't been married but a month. I thought, what did she just say to me? I'm silly. I'm not silly. This is serious. I can't say the books of the Bible. Come on, you can say anything you want to. I can't. I have a stuttering problem speech impact. I can't say You know. She said, You're still silly. Get your Bible. Okay. What do you want me to do with the Bible? Sit down. Yes, ma'am. That's the way I felt. I felt like a little boy, you know, being scolded by my wife. I said, okay. So I sat down there, and she, every day, Exodus, couldn't say it. My tongue went around my eyeballs. I, I, I just couldn't say that word. Ecclesiastes. Whew. It's taken me 40 years to learn to say that one. And uh, Zechariah. Not even Job. I couldn't even say Job right. And, and Diane was saying, you silly, you silly. And that's all I could hear. And I, I was, and then I got determined, I'm going to show her I'm not silly. How about that? I'm going to learn the books of the Bible, and I'm going to, I'm going to prove to her I'm not silly. Hmm. So my, my time came to stand in front of an Old Testament class to say the books of the Bible. I remember standing there with confidence, and I said every one of them. And I can say them now. And I thought about doing it tonight, but I don't think I will. So after a few weeks, 
Boy, I walked in that classroom. I had confidence. And I, I said those books of the Bible, every one of them correctly. Boy, I was so proud of me. I'm still proud of me that I didn't quit that day, that I kept it going. But you know, she asked me a question right before she became my speech therapist. She said, I have one question for you. Yes, ma'am. What is it? I'm just wondering, what is it, Diane? Um, anyway, what if, what if God would have led you to preach out of the book of Exodus, let's say? What would you have done? I said, now, Diane, now you sit down. Let me tell you one thing. My heavenly Father would never have led me to preach out of the book of Exodus because he knew that I couldn't say it and he wouldn't embarrass me. My father is not in the practice of embarrassing his children. No, he would have never. I would never have had to preach out of Exodus, Ecclesiastes, or any of those books. And she said it again. Benny, you're silly. I heard that quite often. And you know, every time she told me that, I was. I was being silly. After my first semester, Diane started having some physical problems, even back in 1970. That caused us to have to move from Chattanooga back home. There was a church in Hinesville, Georgia, at the time needing a pastor. I was only 20 years of age. I went and candidated, and they called me 100%. They had 12 deacons in this church. That would scare me to death today. But it didn't scare me back then. I, I didn't know much about deacons. But um, I know a little bit about them now. They scare me to death sometimes. Amen. And, and, and so back then, I didn't have enough sense to be, be afraid. Twelve of them. And guess what? The youngest one was almost 60. I'm 20. And uh, I walked in on Sunday, my first Sunday, and one of them met me at the door. And he said, good morning, boy. How are you doing? I said, I'm not a boy. I'm the pastor of this church, sir. And you need to respect me. Ooh, boy. Dumb. Dumb as a brick. And for a long time, he would call me boy. How you doing, boy? I would have to come back to earth. Good good night, boy. See you later, boy. Oh boy. After after a year, 
I couldn't take that. No one told me that I should have just stayed and weathered it out. But being immature and being a boy, I resigned. Worst mistake, one of the worst mistakes I ever made in my ministry. So life just kept going. And I became, I started get started getting hard. 20 years old. I was a young, independent, fundamental Baptist preacher. My mother came to my home one night. She and I had a disagreement. Like I said, I was a young, independent, fundamental Baptist preacher that didn't compromise for no one, not even your mother. No one. And if I would have done what she thought was right, I thought I would have been compromising, so I hurt my mother. Not long after that, I started hurting in my side. And I went to the doctor, and they found a tumor in my side. Where when I was born, they gave my mother three months to live because she had cancer. And she thought that this tumor in my side could be cancerous. So she would come and see me. On Monday she came. On Wednesday, on Tuesday she came. On Wednesday she came. And every time she came, the Holy Spirit said, Benny, tell your mother you're sorry. I said, no, I'm not going to be a compromiser. I'm not going to do it. And she would kiss me and walk out the room. Tuesday, the Holy Spirit again said, Benny, tell her you're sorry. You know, can't do it. Sorry. Wednesday, she came back. She would kiss me. Say, son, I love you. Love you too, Mom. Holy Ghost said, if you love her, you tell her you're sorry. I didn't do it. Thursday morning, 9 o'clock, grandmother lived next door to us. She saw mother in the yard dealing with her flowers and watering them. Shortly before nine, mother went into the home, into the house. She was a little tired. She was a diabetic. She was very sickly, and um, she went to read her Bible and to, to to lay down for a while. 
And she decided that she was going to call her family doctor to check on me. And she called the family doctor. And the doctor said, Miss Beckham, um, or the nurse said, Miss Beckham, Dr. Inman is busy. He'll call you back later. And she said, can I hold? Can I just hold for a little while and wait on him? I really need to talk to Dr. Inman. Okay, Miss Beckham. It might be a little while. It's okay. That's fine. So Dr. Inman came to the came to the phone, and there was no one there. The Lord had called her home, holding the phone in her hand. And the last thing, last person she thought of was her baby boy, Jed Beckham. That afternoon at 3 o'clock, the doctor came, the nurse came to the room and, and, and said, Benny, Dr. Inman would like to see you at the treatment room. They had been doing tests on me all morning and uh, to see if this was cancerous. I remember walking down the hallway and... and uh, I remember sitting up on the treat, treatment table. Doctor walked in, looked at me. He said, Benny, I got some bad news. And I, I just looked at him and I smiled at him. I thought he was going to tell me I was, had cancer or something. At, you know. And he said these words. Benny, today, around 2 or 3 o'clock, your, daughter, your sister-in-law found your mother dead in her home. One of the hardest blows in my entire life. I remember saying, Mama, 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 I'm sorry. Mama, please, I'm sorry. Please, Mama. Mama, please, don't leave me, Mama. I, I, I am really sorry. I realized that day that parents don't live forever. You need to be careful how you treat mama, how you treat daddy. Because they, they are here today, they're gone. Like a vapor. The doctor freed me up to go home for the funeral. Neighbors, two houses from our home, heard me screaming, Mama, please, Mama, I'm sorry. They had to shut the doors in the hospital hallway. Dad would come in and talk to me and say, Dad, Benny, they can hear you screaming 
two houses down. Mama, I'm sorry. That was in 1974. So after mother's funeral, Diane and I decided to to move to Springfield, Missouri to attend the Baptist Bible College there. And shortly after we arrived in Missouri, I became the pastor of the Bible Baptist Church of Mount Vernon, Missouri, where I stayed until I graduated from BBC. In 1977, after graduating, I became the pastor of the Lakeview Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia. This was a year I was introduced to the martial arts. I hold two black belts, one in Tang Sudo, a Korean martial arts, and another one in Kempo, an American Chinese Kempo karate. The martial arts have been a big part of my life which we won't talk about tonight. And then I resigned the Lakeview Baptist Church in 1980. I did odd jobs, filled filled the pulpit and some churches until 1983. When I became the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church of Stark, Florida, I was there for almost 13 years. After leaving Florida, we moved to Columbia, South Carolina, Again, I did odd jobs and worked in Gant Street Baptist Church of West Columbia, South Carolina, one of the greatest churches in South Carolina. During our marriage, I didn't know how God was going to use Diane to teach me the greatest lesson of my life. It started in 1998 when Diane found a lump in her breast. Not thinking much about it, she went to the doctor the doctor did a biopsy. He called the house and gave us the results over the phone. I thought that was odd. Diane and I both picked up the house phones at the same time and received the terrible news, cancer in the third stage. After we hung up the phone with the doctor, I went over to Diane in the living room and hugged and cried and prayed with her. We sat together for a long time. After quite a while, I said, Honey, I'm going out to my little praying area. See, during those two and a half years, I had already rediscovered my prayer closet that I talked about this morning in Sunday school. I had already renewed it. I'm already praying like I should be praying. So I walked out to a little oak tree, and I fell on the ground. I remember it like it was today, crying out to the Lord to heal Diane. As tears ran down my face, leaves sticking to my face, I cried, Lord, Do you hear me? Lord, you must heal Diane. Here I am telling God 
what he's got to do. You must heal her. In my heart, I heard him say to me, Benny, you go back to the house and you heal Diane. I said, God, you know I can't heal her. Yes, you're right. You can't. God said, Benny, you can't preach without me either, but you have tried. You can't be a soul winner without me either, but you have tried. And at that moment, I realized that God was second place in my life and not first. And that became a journey, a long journey, but a great journey. For the next two and a half years, I was a student in the school of prayer, learning what it is to have a real relationship with the Heavenly Father. It was in this school that I learned the meaning of 1 Timothy 2.1, which says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made to all men. It was in this school of prayer that I learned that first of all means above all else or supreme importance. I learned that it was the most important thing in my in the life of my Savior and the Apostle Paul. And I learned that prayer is not posture or rituals, but a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And this one teaching changed my entire life. On July the 11th, 2001, my dear wife went to be with the Lord. The Lord had been preparing me for the work of my life for the last two and a half years. That work was to call the church back to prayer. Most people had never heard of a prayer revival. One of the greatest revivals that has ever taken place in America was the prayer revival of 1857 and 1858 in New York. Over a million people got saved. At Diane's grave, church, I surrendered. I said, Lord, if you'll open the doors, I will enter. Two weeks later, he began to open doors. I did 30 meetings Prayer revivals that first year, beginning on Sunday and going through Friday night meetings. The second year, I did 48 revivals. The third year, I did 51. And from the fourth year on, I did 51 meetings a year. That was Sunday school through Friday night meetings. That was not a Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday Some of these meetings have gone two weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks at a time with 60, 70, 90, 102 and many testimonies given and services going from 1030 to 1130 and 1230 and 130 and lives were changed. As your pastor 
brought back the memories of this revival here at Bailey's Grove. That's where I learned to love you. I talk about you everywhere I go. I tell people about you. Thank you for loving Benny Beckham. Months went in 2013, I preached a prayer revival for Brian Dunlop in Laverne, California, at the Lighthouse Baptist Church, which became our home church for seven years. But during that meeting, the Lord showed me another wonderful lady that would later become my wife. On Sunday evening, Jeanette and I spoke for the first time. She told me how much she enjoyed hearing about Diane and seeing what a big part she still played in the ministry and also shared with me about losing her husband, Jesse, in a motorcycle accident. Months went by and I found myself preaching chapel on the campus of the Pacific Baptist College, which is on the campus of the Lighthouse Baptist Church, where she was a member at. After chapel, I went by the office where Jeanette worked, and she was the pastor's secretary. Now there are two sides of this story. I'll give you mine. It's the best one. I remember going by the office and I approached the window of her office and tapped on it. Jeanette saw me and a big old smile came on her face. And she ran to the window and she said, Oh, Brother Beckham, that's my side. Amen. You don't have to ask her her side. Don't, don't you think my side sounds so wonderful? Amen. And so a few weeks later, I called Pastor Dunlop for permission to talk to Jeanette. Because as an evangelist, my convictions has always been before you talk to a man's members, you get permission so I got permission. And he said, well, Benny, I, I really don't know if she is ready to have, you know, a relationship. But I have my wife to talk to her and we'll get back to you. Okay. Can't you do it today? Like, you know, and get back with me today. Well, no. Independent Baptists, they bother me sometimes. And, and so, but anyway, he sent his wife, Don, over and, and, and asked Jeanette if she was ready and to talk to someone and get serious. And Jeanette said, no, I'm, I'm just not ready right now. The pastor called me finally and told me, what she said, and then I asked him, I said, did you tell her who, who, it, who it was that wants to talk to her? He said, no. Do you really think it would make a difference? And I said, yes. 
Yes, I do. Good night. I'm not just somebody. I'm Benny Lee. Amen. Yeah, good night. Do I think it would matter? So, so the pastor's wife went back and told Jeanette that it was me. And she said, of course, I will talk to Brother Beckham. On October the 4th, our first talk on the telephone lasted. Four hours. Four hours. Now you have to understand, she was in California, I was in Georgia. And during this first telephone call, we agreed that Jesse, her husband, and Diane, my wife, that both are in heaven would always be a part of our lives and we would freely talk about them and the rest is history. Amen? Yeah. At the time of our marriage, Jeanette's youngest daughter was 10 years old. Julia. They both started traveling with me to my meetings. Jeanette singing and Julia playing the piano and sometimes singing with her mother. They have played a great role in this ministry. The hand of God has been on the intercessor ministry from the very beginning in 2001. The intercessor magazine was birthed in 2006. The magazine is very unique for it deals only with prayer, pastors from all over the country and around the world, and missionaries from all over the world writes for it. During the, during the years, books have been written, suffering a blessing from heaven. My brother, remember, my brother just wait, and the intercessor, closet prayer, the closet prayer journal, prayer for revival in 2008. This book has been greatly used in the life of pastors, missionaries, evangelists, churches, and colleges. And as of this writing, there are three more projects waiting to be published. House of Prayer, Den, Den of Thieves, The Awareness of God, The Intercessor Prayer Bible that we've been working on. That's my life work that hopefully it will come out in 2023. It's, it's almost done. And so as I look back upon these last 20 years, God has blessed us. The life of Benny Lee Beckham is a life of, of, of just wonders of God. I have no outstanding talents. I am not gifted with great intellect. But I have a willing heart. And I have given it to God. And he has used me. In spite of me. Well. Preacher, I hope. I haven't disappointed you. I'm not a Carl Hatch. I'm not a Tom Williams. 
I'm just kidding. And I love you, sir.